You're listening to a Tudor in Stuart Ireland Interdisciplinary Conference podcast. The 10th annual Tudor in Stuart Ireland Interdisciplinary Conference took place at the Royal Irish Academy on the 19th and 20th of August 2022. The conference was generously supported by the Royal Irish Academy and Marsh's Library. As in previous years, the conference was recorded for podcasting by Real Smart Media in association with History Hub. You can access the archive of Tudor and Stuart Ireland Conference podcasts on History Hub's website, historyhub.ie, as well as on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud and Spotify. In this episode, a recording of a paper by independent scholar Therese Hicks, entitled An Illustration of Dublin Networking in the 1620s and 1630s, Robert Kennedy. So I'll start by locating this Robert Kennedy in his most likely place within Dublin society of the late 1590s and early 1600s. There was another Robert Kennedy at the time who was a very prosperous merchant, whose mother was of the Conran family and whose wife was a Sedgrave, both members of the elite alderman grouping. He would become a, an alderman in 1603, as had his elder brother George several years before him. It's quite likely that our Robert, as you can see from this tentative tree, was a second cousin once removed of this older Robert Kennedy. The younger Robert was obviously well-educated. In addition, he had a strong connection with James Carroll, who apparently was a family friend. All these families were of the Catholic faith, but the times, they were changing. And we'll see that a number of the men in this Robert Kennedy circle appear to have come from Catholic families, but had likewise, as himself, become Protestants. The person to provide Kennedy with his start in the Exchequer was Sir James Carroll. As a merchant, he had done well for himself and financially and also sought government posts, starting with the appointment, his appointment as the Chief Chamberlain of the Exchequer in 1597. In 1600, he moved to be Deputy Treasurer at War, it is quite likely that he still had some influence at the Exchequer, though he had surrendered his patent, um, and would have been well-placed to provide a post for Robert, as he himself later took up the Exchequer post. He was also a longtime treasurer for Trinity College and could well have helped two of Robert's sons at gain ambition there. James Carroll aided Robert in gaining the second Chamberlain's office at the Exchequer by 1602. In 1607, Carroll had sold him an interest in the house on St. Nicholas Street for 10 pounds, which was Robert's first step on the all-important property ladder. He continued to benefit from his connection with Carroll when, in 1612, he was appointed Joint Chief Chamberlain. Lastly, he was rewarded in 1625 when James resigned as the Chief Remembrancer and Robert took over the post the next day. He had to take out a 950-pound loan from, Rob, from James to buy the preemption for this post. In a later letter, James signs himself, your loving cousin. <laughs> but money, of course, is irrelevant. doesn't mind about loving, um, as with Boyle. Yeah. He may have actually been a cousin or simply a close friend. James Carroll had made the transition to the Protestant faith with the blessings of his father, Thomas, also an alderman. This had allowed him to save the family fortunes, as well as to hold the mayor's office for a record-breaking four times. Our Robert Kennedy, however, did not have a father who was as flexible as 
James's father. So when Robert became Protestant by 1605 at the latest and quite possibly much earlier, he was disowned by his father. We know this because in a 1636 court case, Robert's junior brother, John, is named as their father's executor. Once he had a foot in the door of the clerical court office, Robert would have been a person of interest for two types of people, men looking for a good marriage partner for their eldest daughter and men needing, who needed a sympathetic ally in the courts to facilitate, clanned, to facilitate clandestine land transactions. We shall look at the former situation first. As I had noted in 1612, Kennedy had progressed to become the chief chamberlain of the Exchequer. He had also gained an interest in the property on St. Nicholas Street. This was evidently enough to make him a suitable marriage partner for Jonas Sulyard's eldest daughter, Constance. Sulyard was not a common name in Dublin, and very little information is about, available about them. Only lately have, have I been able to, come, to locate some background details on this family. Sir John Sulyard, 1518 to 1575, was a prominent East Anglican magistrate, landowner, high sheriff, knight, justice of the court of King's Bench, and a standard bearer, but also strongly Roman Catholic in his religious affiliation. He had been very instrumental in securing the throne for Queen Mary and sat in Parliament during her reign. His fortunes, obviously, would have taken a turn for the worse with her demise, but the family nevertheless maintained its Catholic allegiance. Jonas Sulyard would probably have been a grandson of John, given that his daughter used the coat of arms of these Sulyards. I've only found one fleeting reference which takes note of Jonas's work for the government in Ulster during the early plantation there. Interestingly, Robert Kennedy is also listed in the same uh, document, though this could have been a local Kennedy because there were quite a few Kennedys in Ulster. It's unclear whether Jonas was a Catholic or a Protestant. Perhaps he, like Kennedy, had decided to move with the ascendant side, leaving his home area would have made this less problematic. Prior to his activity in Ulster, Jonas had married Margaret Sankey, eldest daughter of Ralph Sankey, sometime Dublin alderman and apothecary, who died in 1622. In the ancient records of Dublin, so the, the um, Dublin Council minutes, Ralph is named as one of six men of status, given the task of collecting money to finish the building of Trinity College in 1592. Later, he was the sheriff of Fassero in South County Dublin. Dublin. George Sankey, a dyer, seems to have been his brother, his brother. Jonas and Margaret had seven children, according to Margaret's funeral entry. And the funeral entries are, have been a real gold mine for the um, research on the Kennedys. There are no other records mentioning Jonas that I've been able to find, and I was hoping that maybe somebody in the audience would have some more information. Um, the Sankeys appear to have played an important part in their children's, grandchildren's lives. So let's look at the, how this unfolded here. This is a major center of Kennedy's network. The eldest son, Sankey Sullyard, was also an apothecary got, and got the Dublin franchise the same year as Robert married Constance in 1614. His first wife was Mary Colley, a descendant of Archbishop Adam Loftus, so, you know, a family of standing. His second wife was the daughter of a Dublin sheriff. Sankey became the mayor of Dublin in 1650. 
indicating that he had become a, a supporter of the Cromwellians. So obviously the staunch, uh, soliard Catholic ethos got lost in somewhere along the line when Robert had rented him land in Wicklow in the 1630s. The second son, Thomas, married Catherine Talbot, daughter of Pierce Talbot, in Vrath Down, which is sort of like just between um, Newtown Mount Kennedy and Dublin, by his first wife. It was a marriage between a Sankey nephew and a Sankey stepdaughter, so there was no blood relationship there. That, that didn't really, wouldn't have mattered. This would have provided Robert with friends and family ties in North County Wicklow, well before there was any possibility of his gaining land there. These Talbots were a Catholic family. Youngest son, Humphrey, married Jane Lee, the daughter of a Londoner, occupation not specified. Later, Robert's youngest daughter, Catherine, married a London alderman, and the mother was also of an alderman family. So we wonder that whether um, Humphrey's wife would have hooked up Kennedy's daughter with an alderman from, from London. So Constance Silliard's next youngest daughter, Elizabeth, married John Pugh, alias Apu. He's a newly arrived Welshman because he's not in the book that talks about who the Welshmen are in Ireland at this time. John Pugh became Robert's right-hand man, appearing frequently in the estate papers and he was apparently very interest, instrumental in Robert's acquiring the plum property of Genefield's Inns, which was um, a tower house and a hall built by um, Geoffrey de Genville in the 1200s. And um, there was a huge garden, orchards and things like that, attached to it. Well, as huge as you can get in that area of, of Dublin. It's not, not that big. Um, so, but it was... The Kennedys were developing property on St. Nicholas Street. And so that would have been of interest to, to Robert. Okay. And later they built a, an actual mansion on that footprint. He was also a member, John Pugh was also a member of the trust brought together by, Dave, by Robert to safeguard his Wicklow purchases. He took up the post of clerk of the faculties when Robert left it off and later became the registrar of His Majesty's High Commission Court of Ireland. It's likely that he came from a Catholic Welsh family, but he likewise, evidently, was Protestant in Ireland. Third daughter, Mary, married Ed Archer, who became the founder of Mount John on Kennedy lands, just about two miles south of where the domain is. One could imagine that he was also a trusted supporter of Kennedy um, when the estate was being developed. These archers are later seen to be Catholics in later records. The youngest daughter, Margaret, married Charles Smith, described as a gentleman, and who for the longest while I thought was Robert Kennedy's sister, but turns out not. He was at the Kennedy Tower House in Ballygarney in County Wicklow with Robert's son Thomas in 1641 when the insurgents arrived. Obviously, he was also very active in Kennedy's life, though no other documentation survives. Reflecting on the background of Robert Kennedy's in-laws, it would seem that some of them, like himself, were first-generation Protestants, though Catholics were also acceptable. They migrated from England and Wales, perhaps to reduce friction with their families of birth. 
So what would have interest that the uh, the reason Kennedy, of course, was interested in Constance was because the family had the connections with Jennifield's Inns. So it was a business transaction. He married Constance because he wanted Jennifield's Inns, and she married him because he was up and coming and obviously going to be making money. Okay. So it was so later on Ralph's brother George who had the connection to Jennifield's Inns died and his wife Margaret Lyons made Robert her heir her executor and sole heir and Robert came into the properties on Nick, on St. Nicholas Street and on Kevin Street by that means okay so once Robert had the court post, it would seem that, Robert, that William Parsons, surveyor general of, and later master of the court of wards, took an interest in him. And with this was also the due to, this, whether this was also due to the influence of James Carroll is unclear. Robert's first documented interaction with William Parsons came in 1609, when he witnessed a lease agreement between Parsons and Patrick Brown Alderman. From that time, instances of Kennedy's name appearing in tandem with um, Parsons become our regular. In 1622, Kennedy is said to be a clerk to Parsons, which means he was double-jobbing because he was also a clerk at the Exchequer. He was also being, um, I think people like Theodore Burke were um, writing to Kennedy looking for influence with Parsons so that they could make more money. He was also made a Burgess, Kennedy was made a Burgess of the newfound borough of Corey, along with very influential men like uh, Sir Lawrence Esmond, Thomas Ram, Bishop of Ferns, Sir Francis Ainley's, Ainsley, Sir Adam Loftus, and James Ware. And then he was also acted for Adam Loftus on the committee that investigated the losses by um, McHugh O'Byrne. Another thing that Parsons was able to do was give Kennedy um, access to wardships. You know, the Court of Wards was instituted or reinvigorated, really, to take money and land away from Catholic, well-off Catholic men. If the land, if the man was heirs was under 21 before, before when the man died, then the heir was a ward of the court. That wardship was then sold to investors who would essentially asset strip the heir. And that was, uh, Kennedy got three of those wardships. The first two were like for 200 pounds and another one for 10 pounds, which were kind of small potatoes. But the, sec the third one was for his very wealthy second cousin, once removed, Alderman Robert Kennedy. And it was that, along with his income from the chief remembrancer, that gave him the money to buy land in County Wicklow. So Parsons also then became the head of a trust that Kennedy made to safeguard his property purchases. And on the people on that trust are Richard Parsons, which is William's son, William Barry, alderman and mayor of the Dublin staple, Richard Barry, Alderman and father-in-law of Parsons' daughter, Catherine, and also a part of the staple, Nicholas Kelly Alderman, 
a son-in-law of Parsons, the clerk of the and clerk of the Pell's. Nope, sorry. Nicholas Kelly, and then Thomas Stockdale, the son-in-law of Parsons and clerk of the Pells and Tallies, an office in the Exchequer. John Pugh was also on that trust, as well as Bernard Grasswell. There are only two non-Parsons people on that trust, and one of them is Robert's brother-in-law. So you can see that Parsons had a major uh, impact on Robert's networking. So he, he um, but Robert then came afoul with Thomas Wentworth, who came in in 1633, and by 1634, he had sacked Robert on trumped-up charges because the chief remembrancer is a post for life. So he, again, had, though he had established himself with the... Um, the elite of Dublin and Ireland. And so the first cousin, he was um, also connected to Richard Boyle, who was Parsons, who, first cousin to Richard Boyle. Parsons, or Boyle's wife was first cousin to Parsons. Okay, so that's, um, Kennedy went on then to um, marry his own, own children very well. Uh, and that just gives you some idea of what was like networking at a middle-ranking level in the early 1600s. Uh, and it shows also the fluidity in church allegiance from the Catholic to the Protestant. Okay. When Robert Kennedy's estate was made a manor in 1664, it considered, consisted of about 6,500 acres. His son Richard later doubled that amount, but the family was not able to continue accessing influential men due to the shift of governance to London in the later 1600s. This, along with um, desperately bad luck, saw them fade rapidly, from ra fade rapidly in the 1690s. The, um, this picture of Kennedy's networking efforts would suggest that during this time period, quite a few young men of Catholic families made the decision to convert to Protestantism with or without their family's blessing. It, became, it was becoming clear that there would be no Catholic resurgence, as at the time of Queen Mary or even toleration of Catholic participation in government circles. Having cut himself off from the good graces of his father and probably his wealthy relatives, Robert Kennedy was successful in forging a very useful network bolstered by a number of first-generation Protestants like himself. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this podcast from the Tudor and Stuart Ireland Interdisciplinary Conference. You can access the entire archive of Tudor and Stuart Ireland Conference podcasts on History Hub's website, historyhub.ie, as well as on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud and Spotify.